see everyone here today. Glad you were able to make it. We'll uh, go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we begin. All right. Let's ask God to help us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is full of power because it is full of truth. We thank you that you are the kind of God for whom the truth brings hope. Help us this morning by your word. We ask for this help in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, two uh, weeks ago today, uh, we began a new sermon series titled The Long Wait, Waiting for His Coming. You'll no doubt remember uh, that Advent season uh, we are celebrating now means arrival. told you that traditionally the the Advent season in the Christian calendar starts on the first week in December, and it goes until Christmas Eve, because on Christmas Day, the wait's over, right? Jesus has arrived. But we also noted that this season is not just about Jesus' first arrival, his first Advent, but it's also about his second arrival. The one which has not yet occurred. And so in this series we're focusing on the wait for the arrival of Jesus. Both times. Waiting for Christmas and waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And last time we compared the the long wait to being stuck in a desperate situation, just as the sunset, and knowing that we're in for a very long night before rescue can arrive in the morning. We said that in such situations, the dawn represents hope, it represents relief, represents rescue. We talked about how this is an allegory for the human race, the whole human story. We were on an adventure and disaster struck. Disaster struck the human race the moment we chose rebellion against God. Everything fell apart. And very soon after, God gave us a promise that he would rescue us by sending a Savior. And ever since, we've been waiting for him. This is the story of human history. The whole thing encapsulated. A long night of waiting for Jesus' advent, his arrival. Waiting. Waiting for Jesus to arrive at Christmas. Waiting for Jesus to arrive the second time. The first time he came, he promised that he would come 
and he came. And then when he left, he promised that he would come back the same way we saw him go. And he will. Now we looked last time in our first sermon at Israel, the man, and Israel, the nation, uh, and the way in which they succeeded and failed at different times, to remember that they were waiting, that they were part of God's great redemption story. That God was at work enacting this story even when they were too caught up in their own story to notice or to cooperate. Today, I want to spend a few moments considering what it would look like to wait well. In order to do that, I want to draw our attention to a text that addresses this big picture of humans waiting. Century after century, millennium after millennium, waiting for the advent of the Christ. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews Chapter 11 is a text about waiting. From Hebrews 11 and 12, I want to address one question today. How can we wait well? There are many answers that could be given, but I want to just point out four things from this text that are crucial to waiting well. Four things will be done. The first one is, believe God. Believe God. God has told us that he is coming again to set all things right. We must Believe him. Hebrews 11 has been called the the hall of faith. To have faith means to believe. That's where I'm getting this from. Believe God. These people in Hebrews 11 believed God when he said, I'm going to send a rescuer, a Christ, a savior. They believed him. And that's why they're pointed out here as having waited well. Now, because they believed God, they were commended or approved as righteous. This is a crucial, crucial text for justification by faith. We see it in verse 2 and verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 7 and then in verse 39 Again, the same thing, this doctrine that by their faith they were approved as righteous. Not by their works, by their faith. And that's what we often look at when we look at 
this text. But there's more to it than just us getting justification by faith. For these people, their faith was consistently about God's redemption story, right? This is not just sort of faith in general as, as a platitude, as a, as a good quality or a virtue. This is about faith specifically in the thing God promised he would do, that he is at work writing a story that's going to lead to the reversal of the curse the rescue from the disaster. That's what this whole thing is about. Each of these people played a role in that story. Each of them saw God working to bring about redemption and believed Him. Now, we're going to read the text in a moment. Hebrews 11. And I want you to keep an eye out for this as we do. Right? That the faith was not just faith in general, but it was faith in the promise. The the, the story of redemption. all, All of it related to that. That's where it was all headed. But first, I want us to note something else as we read it. And this is our second point. So the first point is... Believe God. If you're going to wait well, believe God. The second point is if you're going to wait well, live like it. Right? Believe God and live like you believe God. So inherent to the faith that we see in Hebrews 11 uh, is that they obeyed. A A faith that does not act is of no value, according to James in chapter 2. It's not worth having. Real faith lives like it. In other words, if you're going to wait well, you must believe God, but also if you're going to wait well, you must live like it. You believe it, now act like you believe it. So watch for this also in Hebrews 11 as we read. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, but you follow along in whatever you have in your hand. Hebrews chapter 11 Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, uh, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man. Because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away and so did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
by faith. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as numerous as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance and greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the Exodus and the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered the reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered. As one who sees him who is invisible, by faith he instituted the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead Raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting relief so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking, 
scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. going to wait well, you're going to have to believe God. And you're going to have to live like it. Every single one of these people put it on the line because they believed God. This living like what we believe could be called Sanctification or growing in holiness, right? Um, in fact, chapter 12 goes on to focus a bit on that theme. Look at verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, Set aside the weights. Set aside the sin. Run the race. You say, what's the race that's set before us? Well, it's the life of faith, I think. The life of faith that's just been described. That was their race, now this is your race. It's believing God and living like it. We could say, it's waiting. Well, this concept of holiness again comes up in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, he says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Here you're fighting sin. Right? That's, that's what happens when you believe God. Verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, talking about our dads, as it seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the, proof, uh, the peaceful fruit of what? Righteousness. Right? That's living out what you believe. Verse 14, it comes up again. You wouldn't expect it, but here it is. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is a natural and inevitable part of believing God is that you live like it. If you're going to wait well, you've got to believe God, believe the promise, and then live like it. The third thing, if you're going to live, uh, if you're going to wait well, is keep doing it until you die. Right? Keep, just believe God, live like it, and then just keep doing that until you die. And th- this is the hard part. Right? 
This is the hard part. Um, because this takes endurance. You have to stick with it. And that's actually where I get the concept in this text, is endurance. This text is jam-packed with the concept of endurance. Um, this concept, I mean, we already just saw in Hebrew, Hebrews 11. They endured all this. But it also spills into chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who endured, believing God and living like it, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endure. Keep doing it. Keep running. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him. The endurance, sticking with it even though it's a bit tough, is just part of the whole package. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Endurance, keeping going with this Believing God and acting like it is part of waiting well. And this is what verse 1 is saying. That's what it's arguing. They did it. All these guys did it. They believed God. They lived like it. They kept on doing it. Even though people tried to stop them, mocked them, tortured them, killed them, they endured Now you do it. And keep doing it. You say, well, Jason, how how long do we endure? How long do we keep on believing God and living like it? Have a look. Chapter 11, verse 13. All... These died. In faith. That's a long. These all died. Believing. Jason, how long do we keep on waiting? Well, believing. The answer is, till you die. Or Jesus comes. Right? He said he would come. You believe it. You live like it. And you just keep doing that. Until he does. Or until you die. The season of Advent, waiting for Jesus' arrival, um, it's going to keep rolling around. Again, and again, and again, and again. Until Jesus comes. 
Every now and then, uh, when it comes around, someone's going to be missing from our ranks. Someone will have died in faith. Maybe someday none of us will be left to see it come around. None of us will be here to wait. I pray that there'll be a posterity, people that we led to follow and love God, who will be here to wait. But one of these days, Christmas season is going to roll around, and nobody's going to be here. None of us are going to be here to wait for Jesus to come. We'll have all died in faith. But have a look there at verse 13. Hebrews eleven thirteen. Look at what he continues on to say. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They didn't get them. They didn't see it. But having seen them, they didn't get it. They didn't receive it, but they saw it and greeted them, hey, from afar. And have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they, if they wanted this country, they could have gone and had it. 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is an heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. And that brings us to the fourth point. If we're going to wait well, we're going to need to believe God. We're going to need to act like it. We're going to need to keep doing it until we die. And we need to do it with joy. Chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Why did Jesus endure? For joy. He wanted something that made him happy. Jason, that's just for Jesus, right? That's him going to the cross. This is us believing the promise. That's different. Well, this is not my comparison. This is comparison scripture makes. This is how the logic runs in chapter 12. So run, run your race with endurance. Like that great crowd of people who died in faith. That's how it starts. Chapter 1, there's just... Huge crowd of people. All the people in Hebrews chapter 11. They're the witnesses. They all endured. Believing God. Now you do it. And while you're doing it, look to Jesus and endure like He endured. He did it for the joy that was set before Him. And I'm convinced that we can add, you do it for the joy that's set before you. Why? 
Well, what's the joy that's set before us? What was the joy that was set before these people in chapter 11? I say it a lot of ways, but Advent. Arrival. Right? That's what they were looking for. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they believed and and acted like they believed. The arrival of Jesus. Jesus is coming, right, for them. And for us, Jesus is coming again. Advent. That's the joy that is set before us. Jesus is coming again. He's coming as a king and conqueror. He will make all things right. Right? He will redeem his broken creation. Talk about environmental management. The physical creation that groans under the weight of the curse. The animal kingdom. The kingdoms and nations of this world will all be set right when Jesus comes. All of it. But most of all, when Jesus comes, Jesus will be here. Right? That's what, that's the joy that is set before us. The joy is Advent. It's the arrival of Jesus. God with us. The joy that is set before us is we get God. Abraham and Sarah wanted it. Verse 16 of chapter 11 says that they desired a a better country. Right? And, And make no mistake, God has prepared for them a city. He has. And the point isn't the place. The point is, that's where God lives. That's the city God made. It's not an earthly one, it's a heavenly one. Moses wanted it. Verse 26. Verse 26, chapter 11, Hebrews 11, 26. He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ. Okay, I'm not making this up that they were waiting for Jesus. This is what the text says. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. He wanted something, right? There was joy set before him, and it was more valuable than the treasures of Egypt, which he didn't just theoretically have. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Right? I'm not making this up. The joy that was set before Moses was a treasure that was greater than all the treasure of Egypt. It was the Christ, God's word, and through him, the invisible God himself. Him who is invisible. Hebrews goes on to list many, and then notice what it says about all of them. Right? Verse 39, end of Hebrews 11, verse 39. All these, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive 
what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. Do you see this? What was promised that they didn't see was the Christ. All of them believed it. All of them wanted it. None of them saw it. We do. At Christmas, when Emmanuel was born, God with us. And he's coming back. This is the joy that is set before us. In one sense, the dawn has already arrived, the night is over because Jesus arrived. And yet, Advent is not just about the first arrival, it's about the second arrival. And in that sense, we've waited 2,000 years since the first Advent, and he still hasn't arrived. Generation after generation after generation has again died. not having received the promise. Pretty good odds that so will ours. But he is coming back. And he will do exactly what he said. And it will be as great as he said it would be. In fact, much more than we're imagining, just like it was the first time. And if we're going to wait well, We're going to have to believe God. We're going to have to live like it. We're just going to have to keep doing that till we die. And we're going to have to do it for joy. May God help each of us to wait well. Father, I ask that you would give us such a clear picture of the beauty of having you, through Jesus, crucified. That the joy that is set before us would make us happy. That we would feel the joy of it and want it and long for it and look for it and determine God to endure believing and living like we believe even if they're hostile towards us even if they threaten us, torture us, or kill us.
that whatever it is for us that tempts us to stop believing, to stop living like it's true. That we would lay that aside and keep running the race. Compelled by something better. Compelled by joy. We ask this in Jesus' name.